A deep dive into foreign policy with the GOP candidate for U.S. Senate. This is Grand Divisions, the Tennessean Politics and Policy Podcast. It's the week of September 10th. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. And I'm Joel Ebert, political reporter. As I mentioned at the top, we have an interview, a one-on-one with U.S. Rep. Marsha Blackburn. She came into the studio and talked to us for a while about foreign policy. Uh, We're focusing on foreign policy this week since it's the week of September 11th. And and around this time every year, I think a lot of people talk about national security and uh, also you know, Senator Corker, it was he's the foreign relations chairman in the Senate. Foreign policy has been a, a capstone of his career, really. So we thought this was an important time to look at that as we discuss his successor. Uh, shifting, because we have a ton of news to cover this week, into the politics side of the Senate race, which we're going to focus on heavily at the top of, of the cast. There was a, a big new poll that came out that has garnered just a ton of national attention. Joel, give us the, the top line, just a quick view for the Senate race in that. In yeah, that and this new poll from NBC and, and Marist College, they basically found that 48% of likely voters in Tennessee uh, said they would vote for Phil Bredesen. 46% of uh, voters said they'd vote for uh, Marsha Blackburn with 5% undecided. So it's, again, kind of right in line with what we've seen in the past. Um, a, a statistical dead heat is what pollsters are calling it. But this has suddenly gotten a lot of attention uh, from folks like CNN, uh, who have said that this is now a toss-up. Um, and and it really just kind of underlines what you and I have been saying for a, a little while. I was going to say, it's pretty race. funny, right? Like, I think if you ask people who've been watching this in the state, especially in Nashville or Memphis or just, again, engaged politicos in Tennessee, they'd say, of course, this is a horse race. But now all of a sudden, this poll, which is a major national poll that has a lot of credibility, shows that it is, in fact, a horse race, and there is a just a ton of national attention now. All that being said, it may have, results may have changed. Uh, this came out August 25th through August 28th. I've Obviously, that was done before a couple of new ads from Marsha Blackburn and even attack ads have started. Uh, Some folks, though, disagree with the assessment that it is a a toss-up race. Um, Larry Sabato's crystal ball out of, uh, what is that, Dave? Uh, University of Virginia. That's right. They sent out a a recent summary in which they say uh, Republicans uh, argue Marsha Blackburn is favored and now leading, but Democrats uh, say Bredesen is, is up. Uh, We continue to see, and this is a quote from Larry Sabato's crystal ball, we continue to see Tennessee as a heavy lift for Democrats just because the state has trended so clearly Republican in recent years. If this was more of a 50-50 state, we'd call this a toss-up. Yeah, and obviously we've we've kind of profiled the race already. We we talked about that last week about the candidates and and how they see their 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 uh, their paths to victory. Uh, this week we took a, a closer look at a couple of potential issues for both campaigns uh, that that uh, have have garnered some attacks from 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 both sides. Let's start with uh, uh, these are both stories by Joel. Let's start with the story about uh, Marsha Blackburn and about uh, disclosure questions that came up recently. Yeah, earlier this year, Marsha Blackburn asked for an extension on her financial disclosure statement that is filed with the House. Uh, candidates for both the House and Senate have to file these. So when the disclosure came in, um, uh, I, th- I think it was late last month or early last month, um, it didn't include a line that she had in previous uh, disclosures. Essentially, she had a stake in a house called Down Yonder, 
um, which is a South Carolina home that she owns with her uh, son-in-law and her daughter. Uh, she was, in previous disclosures, a member of this this organization. On her latest disclosure, it didn't have that. Uh, so I started to ask why. Uh, essentially, it went from being a, a rental property that the, the family used to now a personal property. Uh, the problem is she did not disclose a $100,000 line of credit that she took out in August of 2017. Uh, and you kind of have to do that. Uh, anything that you have a debt on, you have to disclose. Yeah, so. so what are the potential ramifications for her or her campaign? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends. She could face up to, I think it's, a, let me see, a $59,000 fine or up to one year in prison. That's at least according to um, House Ethics guideline that they have. It's unlikely that she's going to face any punishment from this. Um, lawmakers in the past, including Senator Bob Corker, have essentially just amended their statement. So Yeah, and, and I would say that we here have, have done the best we can to try to audit these when you can. But like Joel said, when there are mistakes, it's worth pointing out. But the actual feasible punishment tends to be weak if sure, it actually sure. ever happens. Yeah. Looking, switching gears here to the, the Bredesen issue, there, there was also a story that you wrote highlighting this uh, interesting, if not opaque or perhaps not very well-known tax program, tax break program that the former governor and mayor has kind of taken advantage of in recent years. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been an enrollee of this program called the Green Belt Program, and essentially this program was created in 1976. It's known as the Agriculture, Forest, and Open Space Land Act of 1976. Um, essentially, he has several properties in Nashville. Uh, four of them are enrolled in this program. Uh, he received tax breaks of $520,600 since 2011. Through the course of the reporting on the story, I was actually informed by um, the tax assessor here in Davidson County that Bredesen asked to be taken out of the program. Uh, so he has to pay back what they call a rollback, is what the money you owe uh, when you remove yourself. So ultimately, Bredesen will have saved, uh, since 2011, $338,000, citing essentially hay baling uh, on his on his 40, uh, one, one property of 40 acres for a total of uh, four properties at 80 acres. I yeah, think. and just to be clear, the, the way that you get any money off of this, you obviously have to have some a pretty pretty sizable lot of, of land. The, the the again, the former mayor and governor has lived out on this piece of property that's that's in West Nashville. Uh, it's it's out past Bellmead. It's kind of near um, Edward the, Warner Park. Yeah. Edward Warner Park, Steeplechase area. It's a it's a big plot of land, and he's lived there for a while. Yeah, and and uh, to be clear, he is not the only one taking advantage of this. There are uh, in Davidson County alone last year, eighteen hundred parcels. Uh, that were enrolled in the program, costing taxpayers uh, $122.8 million. Statewide, there are 227,000 parcels. So again, former Governor Bredesen, not the only one enrolled in the program. And don't be surprised to see these issues come up in attack ads later on. Uh, I, I, it would be shocking if they didn't. Again, I would agree with in that. a tight race where this is a these are important and heady and a little bit wonky issues, expect, you know, both sides to, to potentially come out and, and fire away. We'll get it, and we'll get into some new attack ads a little bit later uh, in, in the cast. But first, let's again focus in on this issue of foreign policy. Bob Corker uh, became the chairman of the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee when Republicans took back control of the U.S. Senate. Um, he has tried to focus on several major 
policy initiatives, uh, along with, uh, in, I think in his words, bringing back civility to, to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Um, we got press releases from his camp, probably as much, if not more than anybody else, about the ideas of combating human trafficking. That's been a huge issue for him. There's also been this issue of, of called authorization of use of military force, and we're going to get into that as well. And again, since he's leaving... He's been this critical voice on foreign policy in the U.S. Senate. We thought it was important to ask the U.S. Senate candidates here uh, uh, their views on an array of foreign policy uh, uh, issues and, and problems that they may face so, as representatives in the Senate. Yeah, and so late last week, we we decided to ask uh, both uh, Phil Bredesen and Marsha Blackburn's campaign folks if they wanted to either make the candidates available to us for an interview, uh, talk to us over the phone, or submit written responses to our questions. Um, Marsha Blackburn uh, took the bait on it. I I guess and decided in. to come in. We really appreciate it. It was it was it was it, great. It, it was, was great that she came in. And um, we offered the same opportunity to Phil Bredesen. His campaign declined. Instead, they sent us some points, which Dave and I will highlight uh, after the interview that you will hear now from Marsha Blackburn. Yeah, that's right. And just to give it a little bit of context before we get in, we asked again an, an array of issues, issues that we thought would be the most important facing any member of the Senate. Again, the conversation is really important. It gets a little bit wonky at times. So uh, if there's a term you hear that you don't know or or something that kind of pops out of the blue, we're going to have a lot of context, including maybe some fact checks and just other general information in the notes, which you can find at the Tennessean.com or, again, within the show notes for this program. All right. Today on Grand Divisions, we've got Congressman Marsha Blackburn joining us. Thank you for, for coming out, sure. Congressman. Thank you. Uh, first question. Very difficult. Um we're looking at committee assignments. Should you be elected? What committees would you like to be on uh, if you are the next senator from Tennessee? I uh, would love to continue with the issues that I've worked on in the House because they suit our state so incredibly well, the issues of energy. And you talk about Oak Ridge and the work that is being done there, uh, TVA, as the presence that they have in our state. Um, you also look at what transpires over in the Memphis area with Valero, our state's only oil refinery over there. And then, of course, we cover uh, technology and communications, the subcommittee I chair, and that affects a lot of what has happened in the music industry. Um, you get into um, the work that I've done that protects how our songwriters can sell their catalogs and not be taxed at an ordinary income tax rate legislation sure. that I did for them and sell it at a cap gains rate. The Music Modernization Act that we have finished in the House and Senator Alexander is finishing in the Senate. And of course, rural broadband. And I've led that effort for five years and we are pushing forward with closing that digital divide. So those are all um, Areas that fit well with our state, not to mention health care, sure. uh, not to mention digital commerce, consumer protection. So uh, probably see me in that in that same sure. vein. We obviously, Senator Corker currently is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, one of the, the biggest uh, decisions, perhaps during his tenure in the Senate, or at least issues that came up, was the Iran nuclear Correct. accord. President Trump's administration decided to remove the United States from that. Uh, do you think that was the right decision? And perhaps more broadly, what role, if any, should the U.S. Senate take when it comes to sanctions or regulate, regulating or otherwise overseeing nuclear production in Iran? Yeah, well, I've got to tell you, it is the right decision to come out of it. And it is the right decision to put sanctions back in place, especially the banking sanctions. I, I think that that is uh, very important. 
and significant. And I'm one of these. I think the sanctions will work uh, because uh, what country is going to want to do business with Iran and not do business with the United States? Because because Secretary Kerry, former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry, has been on you know I heard him on NPR recently talking mm-hmm. about the idea that he thinks Iran is living up to its its uh, its its promises made under the accord, and that other countries are are remaining in it. Uh, it sounds like you're saying just because you know the United States pulls out and that and that in theory could undermine uh, you know uh, any, any sort of other I don't know international. Um, decision that, or, or I guess just undermine Iran's efforts to, to try and attain a nuclear weapon? I, we have to be uh, very mindful of what I call the new axis of evil, which is Russia, Iran, China, and North Korea. And I, I think that when you talk about um, Russia and their relationship with Iran, you have to go back and look at what happened with the Uranium One deal and Russia gaining that uranium. Then you have to look at the enrichment capabilities that are there in Iran and um, how close they are or are not to developing a nuclear weapon. And when you talk about Iran also, you know that they're kind of uh, the bully in the region, in the Middle East, and they are their goal is to uh, annihilate Israel and uh, we are Israel is is our longest standing ally, and has been so helpful in that region. So we have to be mindful of that. You mentioned North Korea, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say that it's part of the new axis of evil. The the president's kind of had uh, he's been on both sides with with North Korea. He's been strict with them in some sense. He's also praised uh, Kim Jong Un uh, in some in, in instances. How concerned should Americans be of, of a threat that uh, Iran or uh, North Korea could be in terms of? Well, America? and I, I think that there are a couple of things when you look at uh, North Korea. I give the president a lot of credit for getting North Korea to the table and for holding them to account. And Secretary Pompeo is doing a great job in working through this, holding Iran to account. If they don't live up to their end of the bargain, then he does. He cancels the trip. He doesn't go in there. So they know that they are being held to account. There again, you know, getting them to the table has made a difference. They've not shot missiles off in a while. They've not been uh, pushing forward with uh, a nuclear weapons program, and that is a step in the right direction. Is it going to all pan out uh, as we would, in a perfect world, want, want it to? I don't know the answer to that, but I give the president credit. I give Secretary Pompeo credit. I give them credit for holding them to account and for getting them to the table. When the president was there and immediately after his trip, uh, he said that essentially they're no longer a nuclear threat. Do you still view them as a nuclear threat? I, I think we have to view any of these in this axis of evil as a threat. And North Korea and Iran, I think you have to look at that. I tell you another thing. Uh, with Iran, uh, being able to get our hostages, I think that is something that was uh, significant and important. Uh, also part of this axis, the thing you mentioned, is, is, is Russia. And I think there's just been a ton of conversation in the United States 
everywhere from all political sides about the role that Russia had either meddling in the 2016 election or just with with poisoning former former spies. Or I mean, some folks are saying that they're going to continue to influence yeah. this midterm Well, election. look Absolutely. at this. You know, Russia has always been a bad actor. And Putin is, he's a thug. And uh, you, we have to go back and look at what Russia has tried to do for decades and how they've tried to meddle in the physical space and now in the virtual space. And this is uh, why you have to look at them and say they're really a bad actor. Now, now you believe national intelligence agencies that say Russia had, a, had an overt effort to meddle in the 2016 election, right? We all know that they've tried to meddle, and we know that they're going to continue to try to meddle because they always have tried to meddle. You know, I, let me tell you something. When I was a N4H club, and this is back in the 60s, and I remember sitting. You're laughing at me, Joel. <laughs> I can see that right now. But you, this is, I think I know where you're going, under the desks. <laughs> no, no. Let me tell you something. I remember being at a 4-H club meeting, and we had a speaker who was talking to us about the threats of Russia and communism and gave us what were their current communist goals. Hmm. And I remember being panic-stricken thinking, these are such bad people and look at what they want to do to our freedoms. And what if I don't have the opportunity to grow up in a hmm. free country? Because you look at... Um, what bad actors they are, and they do not wish us well. So we have to realize that when we deal with them. So all that being said, what does the Senate, what would you like to see the Senate do about Russia? I think the Senate and everybody else is making certain that we, that our elections and our systems are going to be secure. Uh, of course, we are looking at the cyber protections. And as you all are aware, we have had the social media folks up in front of us, Facebook, Google, Twitter, all, all these folks, this is going to be something that you will see. How do we harden our um, networks? How do we make certain that our critical infrastructure is protected? And how do we make certain that people that do not wish us well, whether it's Russia or China, because China does a lot of meddling also, and that we are not vulnerable to any of their attacks. And we just have to realize these are bad actors. They do not wish us well. They have never wished us well. I think Putin would like to reestablish his, uh, the USSR. And you look at the way he has acted in the Ukraine. And um, I've got to tell you, too, I thought that when uh, President Obama had said to Medvedev, uh, we've tell Vladimir I'll have more flexibility after the election. And then you had Secretary Clinton and Obama say, we're going to hit the reset button. I think with Russia, you reload. Hmm. You look at what they did in Syria. Obama did a red line. They went racing right over it. Uh, they went into the Ukraine. Obama sent them blankets. Trump sent them weapons and firepower. 
you cannot trust that they are going to be a good actor. But do, but do you think, President, I mean, it seems like at times, while the administration, the, the Trump administration does take acts against Russia, the president himself has been laudatory of Vladimir Putin. Do you see like there might be a disconnect there or why maybe the American in people might opinion, be frustrated with the president? In, in my opinion, uh, Putin's a thug. You mentioned Assad as, and, and, and Syria yeah. as well, and that Russia is obviously meddling there, and the United States and Russia are, are I don't want to say a proxy war, but there's 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 definitely some tension that's there. There was a book that came out recently by, by Bob Woodward where he attributed this, this idea that the president wanted to assassinate or remove Assad. Should the United States remove Assad from power in Syria? You know, I, I think what we have to realize is Assad is basically delegitimized as a leader, and he is a brutal dictator. He's somebody that ought to be tried for war crimes and the way he has treated his people. And uh, you you look at the instigators that have kind of uh, kept him propped up. Anything that we do with Syria, we have to do in consultation with our allies and with Israel, and realizing that the impact that this is going to have on that entire region. So do you think, I mean, that you, the way you described him is a way that many people have described Saddam Hussein, and it led to a, a U.S. invasion of Iraq that's obviously controversial. Do you see that there's any solution in Syria, in Syria that involves U.S. boots on the ground? I think what we have to realize is that uh, in Syria, we have put ISIS on the run. And we also have to realize that in Syria, the president's policy really is working with what you have seen happen with ISIS. We also have to realize that in dealing with Syria and the situation there, what we have to do is be certain that we are working in concert with our allies. And that is... You know, that is exactly where the U.S. needs to be. This has got to be a team effort. So any scenario, if it's a team effort, if if Israel and, and the U.K. decide they want to send troops in, do you, uh, do you see a scenario in Syria where there would be American boots on the ground? I, I think that what we have to do is work with our allies and uh, make certain that we are working in concert. I don't think this is for me or anybody else to try to predetermine what an entrance or an exit was going to be, this is something you have got to do in concert with everybody in the region. One of the things that Senator Corker has talked about is updating the authorization of use of military force. Yeah. Where do you fall on that? I mean, do you think that the, that Congress needs to do this? Do you think that uh, the president should have to consult with Congress before uh, sending, say, 100,000 troops, uh, you know, into a country? Yeah, you know, um, we talk in terms of imminent threat. From terrorism, and of course, the president needs the ability to react to that. I can assure you, if there was, there is no imminent threat of terrorism that would require a hundred thousand troops. Uh, that kind of movement, uh, the AUMF for something of that type movement would have to have an update. I tell you what else it would take too, is uh, a status of forces agreement. If you were going to have uh, something that would be that size troop movement. Do you think just in general that the Senate and Congress has ceded too many war powers to the presidency? I mean, like, is there, should should Congress, because, again, Senator Corker and others have talked about this, is there more power that Congress needs to take back when it comes to just authorization in general or sending troops abroad? 
the there is a place for the president to have his um, his say on imminent threats, and there is a role for play. Congress has the oversight, and they, this comes through the funding of the military. And this is one of the reasons that, it, let's take Fort Campbell as an example. Right now, the division headquarters for the 101st is back in Afghanistan. They are the most deployed unit in the U.S. military. I have made many trips into the region to meet with and work with our troops when they are there and on the ground. And you have your AUMF, you have your uh, status of forces agreement, you have uh, the defined mission that is executed, that the troops are there to execute. And all of those are important components. You have to work with listening to the commanders that are in the field. Uh, you, it is important for Congress to conduct their oversight. It is imperative that the men and women in uniform have what they need to execute their mission. That is why I fight for them and defend them every single day. So I, I mentioned this earlier, and this is kind of to, to switch topics here right at the end. I mentioned that there's this, there's a lot of talk. I appreciate you talking about foreign policy. We like talking about policy. Many people other places like to talk about <laughs> other news. Part of that news is that there's this, this book out about the, about the White House. And among many other allegations in this book, there's this allegation that the president used what, he, what was deemed a derogatory term toward Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The quote was that he called him a, quote, dumb southerner. And that there's apparently this quote has been attributed to the president in other situations. Now, the president has denied saying that and he's denied many of the allegations in the book. But as a as a lifelong Southerner who is has been repeatedly elected to represent Southerners in, in Washington, D.C., does that kind of comment offend you? I mean, do you, do, you know, do you think I've not that? seen anything in the Woodward book. I am running for the U.S. Senate and out there working every single day. So I've not seen any of the book or the comments or the excerpts. And probably until after uh, November 6th, I won't. <laughs> not a lot of reading time in the campaign. Yeah. It's just, and the reason that Joel That's and I right. were talking about this is that we, you know, there, there are quotes out recently from some Senator Jim Enhoff, a Republican in Oklahoma, and, and Senator Johnny Isaacson, a Republican in Georgia, who said that they were, you know, kind of offended Concerned, by that idea. Yeah. And, and it, we're just wondering whether or not, you know, you're going up there to rep, represent the interests of Tennesseans, of, of Southerners. And I wonder if that, if this idea, and I understand you haven't read the book, if this idea might make you feel like it could impact your relationship with the White House or that it could impact your ability to execute something that Southerners want. I am always uh, in the posture of fiercely defending Tennesseans and Tennessee values. And I, I think that we are well served to take Tennessee values to Washington, D.C., and um, I have enjoyed and have appreciated, been honored to have that opportunity, and will be honored and appreciate the opportunity to do that in the U.S. Senate. Congressman Marsha Blackburn, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much. Had to ask. 
about the Woodward book. We'll get a little bit into to that more later on. But first, uh, Joel, walk us through what the Bredesen camp had to say uh, about some of the similar issues that we talked about with the congressman. Yeah, uh, at first we asked, uh, uh, of course, about North Korea. It's, it was kind of a, a complex question, but essentially uh, his campaign sent us back to a couple of statements he's made uh, and, and on Twitter, but also public statements. Um, at one point in his first, at one of his first TV ads or early TV ads, he had said, if, uh, president Trump quote proposes something good for Tennessee, I'll be with him. That's why I'm fine with his outreach to North Korea. You've got to try. Uh, he later said, uh, after the conclusion of the meeting, the president is, uh, quote, trying a new approach and I hope he's able to make some progress in getting us off the treadmill we're on. Yeah, what what did the the former governor have to say about the the Iran nuclear agreement? Uh, on Iran, he basically said that the the, the nuclear deal deal had some serious flaws, and that they were uh, united in a goal to uh, keep uh, nuclear weapons out of Iran's hands. Uh, turning to Syria, um, essentially, they pointed uh, Bredesen's campaign pointed us to a tweet in which he said. Uh, the president is justified in his actions against Syria. Uh, if the president intends further action, I trust Congress uh, will take up its constitutional war-making responsibilities. And we heard, again, Congressman Blackburn kind of say some, something along, along similar lines there. We did hear her also try to differentiate herself from the president when she called Vladimir Putin a thug. What what did the the what did Bredesen have to say about Russia and, and interactions with Russia? They pointed to his um, uh, statement after this July indictment of twelve Russian intelligence officers, in which Bredesen said uh, the indictment was quote scary. Uh, and the first, uh, uh, real first, uh, solid link between Russian interference with uh, the campaign here, uh, but said Trump should have the discretion to do what he wants. A couple days uh, after uh, Trump met with uh, Putin in July, Bredesen took a strong stance against uh, Russia, at least that's what the campaign said, uh, quote, saying, I think Russia is a bad actor. They interfered with our election. I think they continue to interfere, and I think that they need to be held accountable for for it. So uh, lastly, what, what did the uh, former governor have to say about uh, the authorization of use of military force or just presidential war powers? They pointed us to a uh, questionnaire that actually we, the Tennessean, had sent out, um, which he published this answer, answer, quote, our Constitution specifically gives Congress and not the president the power to make war. In my lifetime, Congress has abdicated that responsibility, targeted responses for to provocations such as President Trump's action against Syria in April are fine, but Congress needs to assume its constitutional responsibility for the rest. Yeah, so uh, again, that was a synopsis of what the, the, the Bredesen camp sent. We hope to do potentially more of these in the future, looking at, again, policy issues. That's what that's what we'd like to focus on here. However, again, much of the political world is focused on this, uh, this new Woodward book. Uh, yeah, it's shocking that the whole world doesn't <laughs> want to talk about AUMF. I, I can't understand why. They do want to talk about the Woodward book, and they want to talk about this uh, this anonymous op-ed, which, if you haven't heard about, you should just just Google anonymous op. I'm pretty sure that it it rocked political worlds, not just Tennessee and D.C., but you know throughout throughout the country. I mean, we we saw uh, you know everyone in in Tennessee, uh, at least elected officials, react to it, including uh, uh, Senator Bob Corker. Uh, Dave, what did what did Corker have to say about the op-ed? Yeah, so I think that everybody in the country has kind of started to started to see uh, Senator Corker as this guy who's a check on the president, or at least a, a public 
public critic of the president from within his own party. Uh, what he said recently was, quote, I'm not a fan of anonymous op-eds, but I don't think those of us who have worked closely with people in the White House are surprised by the content. Uh, I think the biggest issue they are going to have to uh, have is figuring out who wouldn't have written a letter like that. And again, it's this op-ed is talking about how there's chaos in the White House, how the people are are there's there's infighting, there's people trying to pull papers off the president's desk to prevent him making decisions. There's supposedly discussions at the cabinet level about evoking the 25th Amendment, which would potentially remove the president from power. I mean, this was a again, this is why this op-ed got a lot of attention, and it's a little bit. Perhaps frightening is the right word. I'm not sure that's sure. it. To hear somebody like Senator Corker, who's apparently in contact with the White House all the time, saying he's not surprised to hear this, that this is what they're hearing from people inside all the time. Well, and and, and I think, you know, some people have reacted to the op-ed and said, you know, this is more of a conversation that we're starting to have now. But uh, people have moved beyond what the contents of the op-ed are and looked at, uh, can we find out who it is, right? So the Trump administration immediately moved to uh, uh, ask if there has been an investigation, and they, they asked the Justice Department to look into it. Uh, as of this recording, uh, again, this is on Monday, uh, Sarah Sanders re- said, uh, according to Josh Dossie of the Washington Post, uh, reiter- reiterated that the DOJ should look into the op-ed's writer's identity, but cannot delay delineate what crime might have been committed. Uh, so obviously, you know, the president wants some kind of head to fall from this. Uh, his administration members of it, cabinet members have all denied it's them, but we have yet to see where this is going to go. Again, anticipate the president's actions being a huge factor in this U.S. Senate race. Obviously, with uh, Congressman Blackburn aligning herself as closely as she can uh, with with the president, uh, and look for attacks against the congressman with her uh, uh, aligning herself with the president and, and on other issues. We saw a new attack ad come out recently uh, from a, a, a group, not the Bredesen camp, but a, but a Democratic group that's trying to elect Bredesen. Uh, Joel, what did, the, uh, what did the attack ad go after against the congressman? Uh, essentially just being kind of a Washington insider. They've uh, this, this new ad uh, comes from Majority Ford, which has connections to uh, Chuck Schumer's um, campaigns in the past. Uh, it went after Blackburn, calling her, quote, Air Blackburn. Uh, they say that that's what she's known as. I'm not sure I've ever heard that, but no. uh, they say that uh, in the ad, they say Blackburn voted uh, for herself to receive pay raises seven times. They point to her salary that she's gotten. They point to trips that she has taken. Uh, pretty much all lawmakers take these trips. They're okay as long as you disclose them, but uh, you, you do go on places like Prague, Tel Aviv, Vienna, that's where at least Blackburn's been, uh, again, paid for by interest groups as long as you disclose them. Uh, You know, it's not necessarily a a, a new piece to attack a member of Congress, but at the same time, uh, the Blackburn campaign responded uh, in kind by saying candidates in million dollar houses, uh, glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Phil Bredesen owns a private jet in six houses, including three outside of Tennessee. It should be noted, uh, Bredesen's campaign did not have any involvement in the creation of this ad, and Bredesen does not own a private jet anymore. He used to, but he doesn't anymore. Oh, that's that's a pity. Uh, if he did, he might have been able to use it to go to a debate, or some of these debates <laughs> around the state. There are... Uh, Only in politics. There are debates about the debates (laughs) and about who decided to do what debates or not what debates. It's, again, it's pretty (laughs) insidery. But we're going to talk about it because that's what we do here on Grand Division. So (laughs) there have been 
there are going to be two, two. Correct me if I'm wrong. Two yep. Senate debates. There, there was talk of one perhaps in Memphis that fell apart. And Joel also kind of got into the nitty gritty of a talk of another one in Chattanooga. Uh, what went into this discussion and why didn't the debate happen? Yeah, the Chattanooga Times Free Press was working for months to have a, another debate. And essentially they got both candidates to agree tentatively to do it in early October. It would have been October 1. Uh, at one point, it sounded like Fox News for some reason expressed interest in the debate. Um, they had checked in with both the Bredesen and the Blackburn camp. It, depending on who you talk to, uh, the other side is to blame, right? So Blackburn's camp essentially says uh, Bredesen um, balked at the idea of involving Fox News. Um, the Bredesen campaign said, uh, you know, we essentially didn't agree to anything. We agreed to terms beforehand and that Bredesen's folks are, or Blackburn's folks are trying to kind of bully us into this. Uh, Bredesen's also pointing out that Blackburn is kind of uh, not participating in other debates and maybe using this as an excuse to not participate in yet another one. So, again, it's kind of this this back and forth uh, uh, involving all parties, but lo and behold, another debate will not happen. There will only be two U.S. Senate debates this year. If you, dear listener, are on the fence on who you should vote for and the idea that one of these candidates doesn't want to participate in this Chattanooga debate pushes you over the edge, give us a call. We would love <laughs> to talk to you if you are out there. Get, call me, send me an email, tweet at us, hashtag Grand Divisions. Uh, this does not seem like it's going to change the dial, but again, if, if campaigns can fight about something, they're going to they're gonna fight about it. That's, that's the nature of politics today. Uh, a potential issue that would come up at that debate and will absolutely come up at the existing debates is health care. That tends to be something that's on the top of mind of the mind of, of voters throughout the state. Uh, we have a story coming out soon from our colleague, Natalie Allison, where she kind of gets into Governor, uh, then-Governor Phil Bredesen's background uh, with perhaps his uh, most controversial decision as a governor. And that came from his decision to... Uh, Kick people off. Uh, yeah, drastically change yeah. uh, TenCare, the state's Medicaid program, um, facing a budget crisis, the decision to kick off, again, a lot of people. This this was an issue during the state's discussion about whether to expand health uh, uh, Medicaid uh, eligibility, the, the quote-unquote Insure Tennessee plan. This kind of came up, this idea of, well, if, it, if we can't, uh, if we might have to um, stop expansion or to rescind expansion in the future, you know, let's look back at how that happened under under the Bredesen administration. So um, Natalie kind of takes a deep dive into that history and, and looks through what happened, what the outcomes were. Uh, you should look for that coming out soon in the Tennessee and in the USA T Today network. More locally, uh, if you look at the governor's race, this issue of, of health care has also come up. Uh, Carl Dean, uh, the Democratic candidate and nominee, has a new ad in which he's essentially pointing out the difference between him and uh, his opponent, Bill Lee, the Republican nominee, uh, essentially saying that Lee would not expand Medicaid and I would. Um, so that's a new ad that you're going to be seeing hitting the airwaves uh, again on the governor's race to, to give you a quick little catch up. Uh, there was a new poll again out of uh, NBC and Marist uh, that showed that Carl Dean at a sizable disadvantage. Uh, he's down 13 uh, points to uh, Bill Lee, according to this poll. Again, uh, likely voters. So Lee up 53 percent to 40 percent in this new poll. The Dean camp thinks that they're OK. I mean, obviously, that's what they're going to say. They're going to say that they have a, they still have a fighting chance and and they would say 
they this they knew that they, this was going to be a tough race from the beginning. And, right? and one po- point out of that poll, fifty one percent of independents say they're voting uh, for Lee, thirty eight percent for Dean. There's still ten percent of uh, independents that are undecided. So if all of those independents were to go to Dean, I, I mean, it makes the race a little bit closer. So we'll it does, it see. does, and I don't think anybody was surprised by this idea that this was probably the Republican nominee's race to lose, That's especially right. as we talked about another cast. If it wasn't potentially a more um, more uh, controversial pick or somebody that's a, that's a little bit uh, that could that could make uh, moderate Republican voters a little bit queasy or just not want to vote for them. Couple other notes: uh, Carl Dean and um, uh, Billy just uh, recently started beginning of the month started getting security uh, from Highway Patrol. Essentially, not really. It sounds like not really responding to any specific threats. This is just something that they want to make sure if there was an event or, or something that occurred. Uh, should one of them be the next governor, there isn't a, kind of a crisis, a constitutional crisis. Uh, another note, um, uh, Marsha Blackburn recently hired uh, uh, Big Jim Haslam, uh, yep. that's Bill Haslam's father, uh, as well as Steve Smith, a chairman of Middle Tennessee Construction Company. Both of them were are going to be finance chairmen. So uh, as usual, we are keeping track of the inside, the little nit, niche things, as well as the staffing issues. So uh, we will continue to do that throughout this race that's right plenty more to come in in the the days and weeks ahead again debates are coming up uh there's going to be more attacks there's going to be new new policy issues that come out we're going to have them all chronicled here uh at grand divisions podcast but also at the usa today tennessee network so at the tennessee and commercial appeal knoxville news sentinel some of the other regional sites that we have please continue to rate us and review us on itunes or anywhere else where you hear podcasts helps other people find our cast and again if you have any questions or you have any ideas give us a call send us an email tweet at us again hashtag grand divisions we love your feedback and uh thank you for listening i'm dave boucher investigative reporter and i'm joel ebert political reporter thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again Bye.